and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. In this episode, I talk to Rosemary Jackson again, and in true back porch fashion, our conversation ranges over a wide variety of topics. But we spend the bulk of our time talking about the heart of God and how to truly know and experience His love. I'm pretty sure you're going to love this conversation, so let's jump right in. to the back porch. Just so people who are listening this time around know you're you are calling in from Eden. You're calling in I from <laughs> your back porch. Your your yeah. actual back porch, right? My real patio, yes, out in the sun. <laughs> okay. So that's that explains the call in sound, but what I wanted to talk to you about today because I didn't get to ask you about this very much the last time was your new position, your new thing that you're creating and being an integration facilitator. And I know we sort of talked about that last time, but as as I've been thinking about it, I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like what I'm doing with spiritual direction. Uh But I didn't know. So I want to just, I want to find out. So I guess where we can start is uh, give us the definition of what, what you mean by that and tell us a little bit about what it is. Tell me what you're doing. And then I would like to ask you how you decided to do this, how you came from being a, a licensed therapist to now being an integration facilitator. <laughs> okay. Okay. Looking at the, the, the first question was integrating Christian reality with everyday life. That's the purpose of what I do as an integration facilitator. And I'm looking at that, and I realized that most of us live backwards. Hmm. <laughs> we try yeah. to take we try to take our Christian reality and stuff it into the framework of our everyday life. Hmm. So can, so, can you expand on that? Say that. Say more on that. What do you mean by we backward? Tell me what you mean. So we say we love the Lord, and He's the most important person in our life. And yet I can't get to church on Sunday because my kid has a softball game and, and the Lord will understand that. Or (laughs) I met this really cool guy and he says he's a Christian and I really want to get married. So it's okay because he says he's a Christian. So I'm going to marry him even if I haven't, (laughs) I haven't prayed about it or whatever, but I'm going to stick him because, you know, God, God knows my heart. Well, you know what, Brandon, (laughs) Whenever we think we're consoling ourselves with, well, God knows my heart, rather than be consoled, we should be frightened because that's not a solace. That is not a, a sweet thing. Oh, God understands. Yeah, God understands that you're choosing something above him. So when you say backwards, what I'm hearing you say is it's like rather than listening to God and incorporating what he's saying in, in, into my life, I'm living my life and either sneaking God in as a justification or as an afterthought. Well, we treat him, 
you know, there was a time when all of us were so deeply in love with the Lord and blown away, whenever that was in our lives, when we came to him or came to a new awareness of him or whatever. Nothing was more important. You couldn't stop talking about him. And then life happened. Well, we determine life as, well, this is the present reality. No, the present reality is Christ all along. The life that we live are just props. The house that I live in, the family I have, that I happen to be born in the 20th century, those are all props. It's not our definition, not our meaning. And we take these props, well, it's my job or it's my relationship. And then we try to say, oh, but God said he loved me. So how come this bad thing is happening? How come that bad thing is happening? Trying to stuff him in, make sense of him according to what we perceive to be real, our everyday life. Our everyday life is just a scenario. It's a stage that was predetermined millennia ago (laughs) before creation that the Lord allowed us to be in in order to become fully alive in him at that moment in time for the others around us. That's our purpose for living. I love this. I came across as I was preparing for this and doing some reading, I came across the Baltimore Catechism definition of what's our purpose and meaning in life. Yeah. Now, the Baltimore Catechism is a Catholic work that all Catholic children had to memorize way back when. But I love it. It says, our purpose is to become most fully ourselves to reach our full potential and to thrive. The meaning of life is love from God and through us. That's it. It's so cool. What is our purpose in life? Well, he's got me in Winchenden, Massachusetts. What am I supposed to be doing here? I'm supposed to be thriving. I'm supposed to be what he wants me to be is fully alive. And what I do is I make choices in my daily life. Like I want to have devotions this morning. Well, let me just have this cup of coffee. Let me just answer this phone call. I'll get right to it. As I said before, oh, God understands my heart. Well, the heart is deceitfully wicked amongst all things that he knows our heart should make us cringe and yet extremely grateful because he has forgiven and pardoned and cleansed it. Mm -hmm. But if you want to, it's like I gave my heart to Jesus. My response is you gave him what? (laughs) 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 Gee, thanks. But the reality is Christ. Christ is our reality. And if we, if we start from that juncture, then the decisions we make become so much more clear. So unpack for me like I'm an idiot, because this, this has been something that I've struggled with since I can, as long as I can remember. So you just said the reality is Christ. But as a kid, I can remember, I just remember being frustrated by that phrasing or that kind of language, because maybe I'm just simple, but that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I'm going to be real honest. When you say my life is Jesus or reality is Jesus or Christ, I'm like, that's got to be a metaphor of some kind is how my brain works. But I don't know what the, I don't know how to make sense of that metaphor. All right. I tried to, I tried to take that thought and bring it backwards, walk it backwards to get to the base. And what, yeah. I, what I said is, okay, when people come to me, why do they come? They're in pain. What do I see? Often anxiety, depression, and often anxiety and depression are anger turned inward. Anger is huge. Why do we get angry? Many times, anger is the result of grief. 
We can't identify the grief because it's too old, too long, too deep. But we know we can act out angrily. Why do we have grief? Because of loss. Where does the loss come from? How How do we know that? And I truly believe the loss is the betrayal that we experience from practically the moment we're born from all of those around us, our parents, our churches, our friends, because if we believe that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men, we know that there is living space in us that is empty without him. We know that it needs to be filled. God had originally ordained that our caretakers be God to us and fill those things, nurture us and encourage us and delight in us. Too often we look at parenthood as let me train them as the way they should go and they won't depart from it. We, uh-huh. we never take the time to delight in them for who they are. Totally different from them with a totally different purpose in life. We don't give them the space to become that person. They have to become what we think they should be. So the pain, what you're talking about is that fundamentally, whether we like it or not, we are stuck in a place where betrayal and loss of love, the fact that we are not truly loved as we want to be and need to be, is just a fact of life constantly. So there's even this sort of, there's a deep sense of loss that we all share because we're not... (laughs) kind of funny. We're not in Eden. Right, right. That's exactly right. So, okay, so we all are... In existential pain. Yeah. It's our state of being, yes. So how, so now walk me from there to... Well, if, we, if you go there and if you actually recognize that that loss is a part of our existence, that's so cool, first of all, because the framework is to this discontent we feel... It's not because you have the wrong job or marry the wrong spouse. This this discontent is our nature apart from God, apart from Eden. And to actually grieve that, so we can grieve it in terms of, and how you identify it in counseling is, are, where, when did you know, know this, that you were first betrayed or when you were first hurt or when you, when, what's your earliest memory? Mm-hmm. To be able to identify it with a person or a thing then you can say, in what ways did this hurt? In what ways were you disappointed? And to be able to flesh that out, to be able to say, yes, all of that is true. Now what? Now what? Now what do you do with that? First, you, we, you know, we're called to forgive. <laughs> but before you forgive, you have to know what it is you're forgiving. This blanket mm-hmm. forgiveness, I'll forgive my mom for everything she ever did. That's, <sighs> what does that mean? No, I forgive the time that she pushed me to the floor. I forgive the time that she wouldn't listen or whatever. But you identify what you can. You don't go digging in in dirt for too long. But you identify them and begin to see them. They're just broken human beings. And we can choose to forgive them because you can't really love them unless you forgive them. And we're called to love them. That's the goal is to love. And we can't love superficially. It has to be real. But to have to identify the pain and then you have to forgive them. But in order to do that, you have to cry. You have to grieve. You know, those people in the Mies who who wail when someone dies, you know, Israelis wail when people die. We should wail in America because that's the true feeling in ourself. It's not this, I'll, you know, I'll act nice at the wake. We should be all wailing. 
because pain hurts that badly, but we pretend it doesn't. Mm. We act that it doesn't. So I'll be nice to the people at work or I'll be nice to my parents or I'll be nice to my spouse. No, no, no. Being nice isn't what we're called to do. We're called to love. And that's a whole other level. You can't do it unless, unless it's real. And it's not real unless you acknowledge the sin, acknowledge the sin and grieve it. You have to acknowledge the loss and grieve it, but put it in its right spot. Again, yes, my parents did whatever. However, even if they had done everything right, that pain would still be there because it's within, because it's not going to be settled or eased until we're home. There's a sense in which the universe itself has betrayed me. Yes. That that my parents' betrayal of me or my husband's betrayal of me or whatever, whoever, you know, right. those those particularities of my story, those are concrete, specific instances of the much larger reality that is, even if I had a perfect parent, which none of us yes. do, but even if I had, there still would be a fundamental existential angst, so to speak, yeah. grief, there would be a fundamental grief because in, because I'm betrayed by the very universe itself. I'm not, I'm not at yeah. home here is the way we talk about it. Yes, absolutely right. Okay. So, so it seems to me then that when the, where we started this conversation was people do this backwards. And what I'm hearing now is here I am living in this fundamental betrayal state. I've been betrayed and I'm hurt and I'm grieving my parents, I'm grieving my children, I'm grieving my marriage, I'm, but I'm really, really grieving. I'm grieving life. This reminds me of a conversation I actually just, we just recorded recently about digging broken cisterns. It's, I go hunting for meaning, I go hunting for solace in all manner of things that aren't God and yeah. in all manner of things that are temporary. Is it, And then is that kind of where you're going? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm reminded of the man who is filled with demons mm, yeah and so he's wild and out of his mind and and he said jesus says who are you and he says we are legion mm. well a legion four to six thousand soldiers makes a legion mm. four to six thousand demons in this man's body this man had to have had a vacancy if he mm. was if he was god-fearing Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan wouldn't, could not have possessed him. There was an opening. What was he searching for? What was he, do, what was he doing in the tomb? Be, I mean, maybe he was there before. Maybe Satan didn't lead him there. Maybe he was searching for himself, quote unquote. Whenever I hear that, I get scared because be careful because it will find you. When you search for anything outside of Christ, it is a demon, a demon's mouth. What, 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 cross my mind when when we seek for truth outside of christ we become demon kibble i had a, a, had a conversation two weeks ago with a beautiful young lady whom i've known since she was three and met her at a party and hadn't seen her for quite a while and she's now divorcing her second husband she was reared in a christ god living loving family and talented sweet kind her first husband was went to the same christian school she did he wound up to be an extreme abuser mm. and she divorced him she married a second guy that 
said he was a Christian, so this must be fine. God took me out of the first one. He's given me this one. And this guy basically was not a believer and became abusive. And she's divorcing him. And we're sitting on the sofa, and she says, well, it's time that I try to find out who I really am. All my life, I've, I've believed that what people said I was or said I should be or who I was. But now I'm going to find out who I am. What I wanted to do was scream, no, (laughs) no, don't go into that cave. You don't know what's waiting there for you. What I said to her is, well, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Because overriding my fear is I know Jesus loves her and will guide her through this guide her through these steps she's taking. I'm scared spitless for her. Um, she has no idea what she's opening herself to, but I know that God can redeem her from that and can keep her, can get her safe again. But I have, to, <laughs> it's scary. One of the things I, you know, I loved the, the phrase, the verse, and everybody knows it, it you know, in Christ, in, in him, we live, move and have our being. Right. Right, Paul's talking to the to the Athenians. Mm-hmm. Well, come to find out, that's a quote from a Greek poet. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to pronounce his word, Epimedes, and he wrote it in 600 BC, and he wrote that as a as a um, supplicant to the goddess Athena. So, mm-hmm. what was so ironic about it is so underscored that this brokenness, this loss is across cultures down centuries the sense of alienation and the need to connect on that intimate level with another being and he's just saying whatever god this is and at that time it was athena in in whom we live and move and have our being that need to connect on that deepest level is universal and timeless so it strikes me that the statement or the question who am i i'm going to find out who i really am is the right move it's just there's yes. there's two different angles or two different approaches one can take to that. And when one is, I'm going to go, I'm going to go inward into myself alone, me, myself, and I, and discover what whatever is there, that seems to me to be this cave that you're afraid of. This You're saying, yeah. don't, go, don't go in there. That's the cave that the, the demon-possessed man went into. And what, lo and behold, he found a legion of demons. Yeah. But there's a, I guess I'm starting to draw a connection to the answer to my original question, which is, what do you mean when you say Jesus or Christ is life? If I'm asking the question, I'm going to discover who who am I really? And that draws me, or I allow that to lead me to what Christ says I am and his deep connection to me. That's a different direction than going internally into the cave. Yes. Yes. So I, I have to confess that I, I am really struggling in my own personal life and practice with spirituality to try to find new language for this, or at least language that isn't the language that I grew up with, because I find, I find that there's, just for a quick example, the idea of looking inside myself for meaning being a dangerous thing to do, and then looking outward to Christ for my meaning— Boy, I've known that. That language has been in my life since I was a little kid. 
And I yeah. completely agree with it. It's the right thing. I get that. But there's a but I have a difficult time with the language. I have a bad taste in my mouth about the language because for whatever reason, and I don't really know if I should blame anybody or not, but for whatever reason, I have associations with this with this kind of method or whatever or whatever, this kind of language that that basically say you Brandon, you suck. Like just plain and simple. God sort of like the fundamental reality is you suck. <laughs> and God overlooks that maybe. Maybe he you know, he's he's kind of the image that comes into my mind physically is of of a kind of standoffish elderly gentleman who really doesn't like me, but he's going to go ahead and look the other way anyway and go ahead and say, "Well, I'm still going to use you." And what you really okay, need you to do know. is just love other people and just be kind and never actually look at yourself and deal with yourself. That's I, that's the connotations I get. Okay, so the the image that comes to mind when you know I suck and <laughs> and, God is, and God is there, it's an image of this wonderful father bending over you, patting your head, and saying, "I know, dear." Yeah. Well, I I would just to be confess my own image. It's not he's not my father who's kind. I mean, like you know, I actually have a pretty good dad. So when my dad came to me, he didn't patronize me. So the image I have is of a almost. It's very a judge. It's like almost a an official. It's like a police officer. (laughs) Oh. You know, I mean, I I get this image of God as being a. He's some sort of official capacity in the government, and he's saying, yeah, you suck, and I know it, but we're going to go ahead and continue to put you to work anyway. Oh, my gosh, how exhausting and how awful and what a lie that is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But but I I, honestly, Tanta Honey, as you're talking, and I don't, you know, this doesn't, I I don't pretend, I don't want to do a therapy session over the public podcast, but... But I, but I confess that that the language, and I don't know why, and I don't think why really matters here, but the language of don't look inward, look outward, somehow has that connotation in my mind. So what I would like to like drive home or get get you to talk about is, how are you right. seeing that differently? Like, tell me how it's actually different. Give me the alternative okay. picture. <laughs> First of all, I'm not saying don't look inward. We have to look inward. We should look inward. Yeah, because that's all we know. That's our that's our currency. <laughs> it's all we know how to work with, and we should inward because inward there are pains and hurts and angers that that should be addressed that have mm-hmm. to be looked at that are mm-hmm. fine to do. Christians aren't supposed to get angry. Christians aren't supposed to be upset over this. Oh my gosh. No, Christians are to be in, are in pain and have to recognize and accept that. And then look at it. What, well, what is true? What is true is that that uh, young lady's husband was brutalizing her mm-hmm. and taking advantage of her. And she had to come to the point is, I am worth more than this. I am not going to stay here. Mm. And she had to work through all that because Christians are supposed to get divorced. Oh, the conflict that that poor child was under was huge. Yeah. So you have to look in. Why did I accept this? Why did I think this is going to be okay? Why do I think I have to stay? 
I mean, those quests, and that has to do with, you know, assumptions made from childhood. So you do have to look in, but the answers aren't going to be there. Right. The questions are there. The understanding as to what happened, what do the bricks look like, but it doesn't make the building. The building has to come, has to come from the Lord. Now, I, I'm, again, I think we had this surprise moment on my side the first time we spoke is that when you hear things about the Lord, you, you hear those words so differently. And I, I chided myself saying, Man, <laughs> I, have, I have heard that in other places. It's so much not how I understand God or, or know him or have ever known him that it's hard for me to think that reading this scripture could be condemning. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. To right. me, it's his love letter. It shows me God's heart. See, that's to me, that's kind of the crux of the issue because it you read scripture and it shows you his heart. And I know you well enough. And I also have gotten to the point myself where I have that same experience. But what I mean when I say scripture shows me God's heart is a tender thing. Like what it shows me is God as I've said, I think the way I say it now that helps me make sense of it is God not only loves me, but he likes me. Like, yes. you know, that when I pray on Sunday mornings, when I stand in, in church and say, I, a poor, miserable sinner in the confession yes. <laughs> liturgy, yes. you know, there's a period of my life where that was confusing to say, because it's like, wait, if that's what I am, and now I have this other sense of like, well, that's what I am in this life. <laughs> that's what yeah. I am in this fundamental broken world. It's not what yeah. I am. What I am yeah. is a beloved son of God because that's who I was made. That's what God's heart is for me. That's how God sees me. And it's and it's and that's who God is making me into again. All these things that come back to me. So when I read scripture and I say, yeah, I see God's heart, I see a God who far from running away from sin and patting me on the head is like running to it going i'm gonna i'm yeah. gonna get rid of that from my beloved son well, well but, honey read i mean brandon hosea i love <laughs> that one i love that um you adulterous nation you've run away from me time and time again you keep turning away from me and and you run out into the desert and he says and you know you've been so awful you know what i'm going to do i'm going to run out to the desert after you and I am going to woo you and bring you bouquets of roses and turn your valley of pain into a valley valley of rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Okay. This, so, and like I said, this is the turning point for me then because I know so many people and I was one that when I say the scripture shows me God's heart, what, the, what I saw was a hard heart, a angry heart, a honestly, I think even a needy heart, a heart that didn't, you know, God didn't get from me what he needed and therefore he didn't like me. And I know that there's real fundamental problems with underneath lying underneath that. So yeah, yeah. what I, what I want to know from you is some sense of, it seems to me that when you're helping people integrate Christian faith into their life or Christianity in their life, that this is what you're talking about. It's like, I, what I need to integrate into life <laughs> is the true heart of God, is really God, not not my made-up yes. God, not my made-up God that yes. doesn't like me. Yes, yes. All through Scripture says how he delights in us. Why don't we see that? 
over and over again. He, he loves me. He rescued me because he delighted in me, the Psalms say. Yeah. The question of why don't we see that is, <laughs> that's a really good question. If you want to see God's heart, just look at a crucifix and envision Christ's blood flowing down, flowing and flowing, being stopped up by the ground, never ending. That's Christ's love. That's God's love. His never-ending poured blood. That's his heart covering us again and again and healing us again and again. He never stops. But it's true as far as when I see people, it absolutely, you said it beautifully, I'm so thankful you said it that way, is to help the people that I see see that the God they think they live with or are trying to, are trying to appease of all mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. is a God of imagination, stories that, bad stories <laughs> that you yeah. told. Well, I, I think that's the, I mean, one of the ways that I make sense of the fundamental original sin is just that right there. It's, there's this, I, okay, <laughs> Satan said, did God really say? And we focus on that exactly. so hard that we miss that what he's, what he's insinuating, <laughs> you know, it's it's not that they failed. Of course, they did fail to believe God's word, but it's less that they failed to believe God's word and they failed to trust the character of God who said those words, right? I mean, I just wrote that this morning. <laughs> it all comes down to failure of trust. I'm staring at it on my paper right now. Right. It's a betrayal because... of trust. Right, because what Satan insinuates is, you can't. He said these things because he doesn't like you. Now he, Satan, never has to say that. He just insinuates yeah. it. He's like, you know, yeah. this God you think he, that likes you, he really actually is trying to hold you down. So you really yeah. can't trust what he says because you can't trust okay. his. You 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 can't trust that he actually cares about you. That's right. And I think Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That, you know, we just, we've never shaken that sin. That just continues. That's that's what sin is. It's not even my action. It's just, yes. it's the, the betrayal of the universe that keeps telling me I can't trust God. That's right. You're, I cannot tell you how amen that is. That's exactly, exactly what it's all dependent on. I, I looked it up. You know, I love this verse, and I'm going to say it again. <laughs> yeah. Trust in the Lord with your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. But trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't do that. But that betrayal of trust, it's a yearning that we have. We want to. That's that, That's going all the way back to the loss, the sense of loss, is we want to be able to trust. We were created to trust, and we could never trust anything in this world because it's mm-hmm. broken. Mm-hmm. That's the loss. That's the grief. That's the anger. That's the depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I just small interjection. I do have to recommend a book that there's a book called I Believe in Love. And it's, Uh I wish I could pronounce the guy's name. I'll put it in the show notes. And a friend of mine, a good friend of mine was the one that put me onto the book. But what's great about it is his image of God based on St. Teresa's writings is she, she conceives of herself like a pit. Right, and then and here's the sin. I I I abhor miserable sinner. I am a pit. <laughs> but 
But then she, the analogy is, well, that's a good, that's good news because if God yes. is water, you know, the yes. waters of our baptism, then yes. well, my, all that does is suck more water in. Like God just rushes in to fill the pit. And, yes. and so it's so far, the absolute opposite image of I'm a sinner. God is holding his nose and running away from me. Yeah, it's yeah. actually, I'm a sinner, so God is attracted to me. <laughs> Amen. Well, that's what he says, Dag right. Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So I let me ask you the really practical question. How uh-huh. do you help someone make the transition from seeing God as seeing God as the, the kind of disdainful policeman to seeing God as the one who we've been talking about, the father who dearly loves to rescue his child from sin. Well, I speak the truth in love, that they are created on purpose, they're not a mistake, to live in this place and time, that God delights in them, that he knows has been with you for every single step of the way. He was there when you were abused. He was there when you were being betrayed. And he caught every single tear and saved them in his bottle. He was with you every minute. Where was God when this happened? He was with you. Well, why did he let it happen? Because sin is real. And the wages of sin is death. And dying is a part of this, is the primary part of this nature right now. But you, you matter. No one is like you. And then they'll say, well, what about, you know, I try to do this or I try to do that. And I say, stop, (laughs) stop doing these things. As a matter of fact, this is where you come in. I've I've referred several clients to you as a matter of fact. (laughs) Stop, stop the running, stop this madness Uh of trying to please God. Insane. There's never an end. When are you done? When are you done? Never. This is Christianity. This is why, why do you want to invite someone into this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't tell you how many people I've asked, well, tell me about your image of God, and they get done describing God, and, I'm, and they're like, and I don't believe in that, and I'm like, well, good. <laughs> you know, it's like, amen. <laughs> I, I don't believe in that God either. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So it's one, to try to help one speak the truth in love, because they don't really hear the truth. Secondly, to get them to identify specifically in their lives, what lies are they telling themselves? I had one woman come to me all upset because she didn't want to live where she was living. She was born elsewhere and wanted to be in a different climate. And her husband promised that they would do that. But come to find out that didn't happen. And they went to a place that they didn't want to, she didn't want to be. And, and this woman was, is a vibrant Christian helping many women in particular in their daily walk. And she's stuck on this anger that she has towards her husband and her deep unhappiness because she's not where she wants to be. And I said, you know, this is so just situational. This is not a massively spiritual, massive spiritual sin. This is you're in a place and you're fighting against it because you want what you want. It's the place. It's not the place that is disheartening you it's it's your dream of what you thought you should have and you have to pretend that you're a missionary (laughs) and you are placed in this mission field where you are right now 
to thrive and grow. Whatever he's got for you down the pike, that's his call. But right now we're called to be at peace and to grow where we're planted. And he's got you there. So, so basically shape up (laughs) and, and see that. So I didn't want it for her to get into, for me to get into with her about, you know, and we did touch it. Of course, we always touch family dynamics and stuff, but to do a whole bunch of self-evaluation really wasn't what was called for at that time. It was the reality is this is a mission field. Now, either accept it or not. And if you're not, then you've got to question your whole place, your whole sense of why are you doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I guess, correct me if I'm wrong about this. What I want in my life, in my situation, and I'm kind of thinking about how you were talking to her about well, the problem is you want what you want. It's like if I connect that to the bigger picture of the universe, the the fundamental truth of this is that the universe has betrayed me. Like underneath all of my wants are what I want is to be loved. What I want is good things. What I want. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's a perfectly valid, good want. The problem is when I want it now or when I want it in my way or when I want, or when I want it, it's, it reminds me of one of the quotes that I love from Lewis, which is that it's not that our desires are too weak. It's that they're not strong enough. We settle for yeah. things, you know, we want. And so the images of of a little child, a two-year-old who wants love, but, you know, settles for a lollipop. <laughs> and it's like, well, I... And what you're, what it sounds to me like you're saying in, in my kind of my way of thinking is like you're saying, here's the hard call. The hard call is you're going to have to grow up a little bit and wait. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's yeah. really hard for for us yeah. two-year-olds. But, yeah. but you, yeah, you're in the mission field. You, you're going to have to wait to have some of this, this desires, some of these desires satisfied. Or they're going to be they're going to be satisfied in a whole different way than you could possibly imagine, and you have to give up your you have to be willing to accept that your imagination is too small. Give up the lollipops; they're both of your arms are free for a hug. <laughs> yeah, which may not come for a while. I mean, that's the hard part, right? Which it may in this life it may not come. It it may come but in the next. Does, but it does come. No, it, no. Scripture says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm. I will see it's it's now. You don't have to wait for it. Although, I have to say, being at 73 years old, I am so grateful because my perspective has so changed over the years, evolved over the years, that to be where I am now is the coolest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because you see yourself in perspective. When we're younger, we see ourselves in the now. The only thing that matters is are the diapers changed? Is there food on the table? Mm-hmm. Is there money in the <laughs> that kind of stuff? Well, that's past for me now, thank God. And <laughs> and there's time where I I can just be with him. Boy, do I understand the Quaker understanding of that. Just be silent with him. Mm-hmm. And and allow him to love me. I'm not doing yeah. anything. I don't I don't serve 12 people every night for dinner. I don't, you know, do all these things, run Bible classes. I, I get to be with him. And it, 
this perspective bit is so cool because it shows the uniqueness of each one of us. I, when I say before that our lives are just props, they are, it's a stage. What's our role? What, do, what has he called us to do? To be a part of his, and I know it's been said a million times, but this tapestry that he's weaving, mm-hmm. <laughs> every single thread is necessary. Everything, and we, have, we don't see the picture because we're one of the, the bumps on the thread. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. But you know what? When the light shines on that bump, it's shiny and beautiful. Right. That image may have been used a million times, but I think most, I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with it. And the way that it, my, one of my favorite books in the entire world is C.S. Lewis's Paralandra and in the, the second oh, book of yes. his space trilogy. And at the very end, he uses that imagery and he pulls that out. And one of the things he talks about is, Instead of the tapestry imagery, he uses a ballet imagery that there's that the whole of creation is this gigantic dance. And the question that is posed is, well, wait a minute. What about the bit part? You know, I'm paraphrasing, of course. But what about the little four year old ballerina who really can't dance that well compared to the professionals when she comes out on stage and does her pirouette and then leaves? I mean, she's not the she's not the important part, right? And the answer that that the character gets back is, look, when the person, whenever the part is played, you can actually say that the entirety of the dance is about that particular part. So everything is at the center all the time. So yeah. you can you can actually understand the ballet as being everything that leads up to the moment that the four year old girl comes out, does her pirouette, and leaves. Everything in the yeah. before was for that moment, and everything after that yeah. was because of that moment. But you can say that yeah. about every single moment. So yes, I may be a bump on the thread, but when it comes my turn, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. then there's a real sense in which God has centered everything on me, just like He centered everything on you, and just like it, it, there's just not it, God's economy is not limited to our our simple transactional <laughs> way of thinking. Absolutely. And I've seen it in two ways. First of all, before I forget, when I talk to my clients, I almost always mention sci-fi because, <laughs> because it's the only way I know how to describe God. Interesting. Oh, yeah. It has to be. It's this alien creature from outside the universe <laughs> <laughs> who has come after me. <laughs> yeah. It's huge. I mean, come on. Mm. This is not some little god of our imagination. This is this alien being who who lives in love and lived in love for eternity before creation. And again, that's that silly little image that I have of the three otters playing in the stream. Perfect joy and harmony with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In delight and joy, that was that's his existence. That's mm. that's who he is, is eternal joy, <laughs> eternal joy and laughter. And mm-hmm. fun and delight. And he wants us to be a part of that. He draws us into himself. We do not work our way into him. He draws us into ourselves. And that, that chapter in John, what is it, 14, 15, when John, Jesus is talking about <laughs> what he has for us. And he's praying to the Father. And he says, as I am in you and you are in me, so they, I am in them and they are in us. Mm-hmm. What? What? If I could summarize what you're saying, you're saying that what Christianity believes to be the fundamental reality is love. And that means 
that the opposite of what we normally experience, like we're, we're, and that sounds, it sounds crazy on two counts. It sounds crazy to the sophisticated non-Christian because just, well, just look around, but it also sounds, yeah. because look at all the evil and it sounds crazy to, I, there are people listening to this podcast right now saying you're crazy because the fundamental truth of Christianity is not this beating heart of the universe is love. That's new age whack, whack job stuff. And I, to me, it's like, <laughs> Satan has done such a number on us. <laughs> like, yeah. the, like, how have we gotten to the point? I get mad. I'm actually angry. I get mad at how have we gotten to the point where the so-called Christian church presents an image of, of the universe that is basically just got an angry God at the center of everything. And that the real message of Christianity is zoom around more, suck less. Yeah. Yeah. And I really hear you saying, if you could get underneath the appearances, what you would yeah. find is joyful, fun love, love that is the three yeah. otters dancing into, the, you know, playing in the stream yeah. and that, that really just for no need at all, for no reason at all, but just because it's smiling and, and they're happy, wants you to join. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the Christian. Yeah. That's the whole Christian message. Yeah. See. Uh, How did we get this far? What has our well, culture done? It's Satan. He's the father of lies. He will take anything beautiful and turn it to crap. Yeah. He will take any thought we have and direct it immediately to disbelief. And disbelief is the same thing as not trusting. Right. I'm less concerned about how we got here in my life now. Yeah. And I'm more concerned with how do I help people experience it differently. And I think well, that... You cut, away, you cut away the lies. There are so many lies, so many beliefs that we have that, that as you said, the culture, let alone the, the church, has dumped on us over these centuries that we we believe the lies because in a way part of our nature wants to as a matter of fact i don't want to give up my way as a matter of fact i think i am right so there <laughs> you know it's all about me and it always will be but as the years go by and as, as he shows his love more and more and demonstrates it and i can see it we let those, it's not even an issue as far as distrusting him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what kind of fool would I be to distrust him? It's walking off the, the, the lip of a volcano. So we cut away the lies. In my place now, it seems to me that a lot of that happens not through talking, but through experiencing something different. Like it, so much of what what I'm trying to do when somebody comes to sit with me for spiritual direction or when they come to a retreat or whatever, so much of what I'm trying to do is less words and more offer an experience of a different paradigm. <laughs> like maybe you can experience for a moment through me or through the silence or whatever, you could have this experience of God where he's not the angry God coming to get you, but somebody who's pursuing you and likes you which it's like, it's like you almost have to have the physical experience of it first, and then the understanding and the discussion about the lies can come second. Does that make sense? Um, yes. 
When I was nine years old, my sister disciplined me for something and sat me on a chair in the dining room facing away from the table. And all I could see was the wall across from me. On the wall was a crucifix. Mm. I don't know how long I sat there, but I started sobbing. And my sister ran in and said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean you know, to be so harsh or whatever. And I said through my tears and gasping, it's not you, it's him. Because I was looking at that cross crucifix for the first time. It had been there for years. But truly looking at it in silence with nothing else going on, I saw him hanging there Mm. for love's sake. I didn't see expectations. I didn't hear old gospel songs. I just saw his body and the pain and therefore the love, because the question is why, why would he do that? Because he loves me. He must have. Why else does someone do that? Yeah. So that's an experience before I could speak. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap up our conversation. But I have a few more minutes. And what I want to ask you is, when I said that, when I said you have to have the experience before, there it sounded like there was hesitation. Is there hesitation in what I said? To, like, I'd love to hear that, too. Um, so I was trying, I get a little nervous when I hear you have to experience before you know the truth because mm. then I get a little nervous because what is it that you're going to experience? What is mm-hmm. it that you're opening your people open? Oh man. Well, like I said, you, you said when you first started, we open ourselves to all things trying to find ourselves. Mm. And that's scary as hell because those all things include everything that hates and want to devour us. So I get a little nervous about experience, but he, he does care about our experience and how we feel. He doesn't just say, read it and believe it. Oh, my gosh. He is so tender. Um, all right. I'm just going to close with a really short thing. And this is not true for probably most people, but God was gracious. My home was very raucous mm. and scary at times. And I used to hide behind chairs. <laughs> <laughs> And, but, but we certainly knew the Lord and we sang all the songs and we prayed all the prayers. Mm. And uh, at nighttime I would say, you know, our father who art in heaven and God bless mommy and daddy and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the prayers, I would go to sleep, except one night out of my mouth came, I hate you, God. Mm -hmm. I don't know how seven, eight, nine. And, um, I, I said, what? I said, you know, I don't mean that. I mean, I was just little. Yeah. I said, I love you. No, I don't. I hate you. So I cried myself to sleep. I woke up in the morning. There was, my eyes were crusted over with tears. I didn't think anything of it. The next night, same thing happened. Third night, I said, no, this is not going on. <laughs> this is not going to happen. And I'm saying, I said, God, you have to show, you have to prove to me you're real. You have to prove to me that you exist. And... My mom was listening to Groucho Marx in the living room and the streetlight was coming on through my bedroom window and all of a sudden everything went silent and dark. And in the far corner of my bedroom was a little light and it got bigger and bigger and it sounded like a waterfall. And I hear a voice and the voice said, only believe. 
And I looked, and there is a being at the end of my bed. Hmm. And he reminded me of Joseph's coat, coat of many colors. Had a little pillbox hat on his head. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's standing there, and <laughs> I'm, I'm mesmerized. The next thing I know, he's levitated next to me. And I said, Rosemary, you're dreaming. This is a hallucination. I didn't use that word because I didn't know it. But this is you're dreaming. <laughs> this isn't real. If I reach over and touch him, you can tell if it's real. And I reached my arm over to touch him, and he disappeared, and the light went away, and the sounds came back. And I was filled with such a sense of peace, just peace. And it was this huge sigh of relief. And I snuggled up and never had a bad dream again. Hmm. But he, in his tenderness, because of my situation at that time, allowed me that experience. Mm -hmm. So was it, and, and then I forgot about it, Brandon, for decades. Mm. I never mentioned it to anybody. I forgot about it for decades. and went my own way, lived outside the Lord. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah, searching for my own self. Well, after I finished yeah. throwing up, and I said, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. He said, well, it's about time. <laughs> actually he said finally and then I came back and let him love me and fell in love with him like I had never known before hmm. by just being in his word and by hearing the truth that hmm. yes I'm a sinner and yes it's me it's not just you know all men it's me hmm. and yes he loves me beyond imagining and I think that, I mean, I can still remember coming back and then going to service. And this pastor was astonishing in expressing God's love. And I would go with a box of tissues because I'd sit in the back of the church and just sob. Mm -hmm. not, not out of condemnation, but mm -hmm. out of absolute overwhelming understanding that I was loved. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, I don't speak of it very often because it's not a usual thing, and I don't want anyone to think, oh, if I were really holy, God would show himself to me. So yeah. <laughs> I no, don't no, no. What I appreciate is I think that it's, yeah, it speaks to the tenderness that God has to, well, meet us where, where we need to be met. And yes, yeah. I hate to leave it there because there's some frustrating questions that I know people will ask me about well, I need to be met in this way, and he's not meeting me. And I, but it that to me returns to the question of, yes, but the, the really difficult and also easy, paradoxically, part of faith is to trust that God actually knows what I need better than I do. <laughs> so, you know, but that's, but that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah, I think the I, I take to heart the idea that saying we need that the to experience God is. I need to experience God's love first before I can sometimes understand it. There's a danger there, but yeah. there's also some, you know, I think this is one of those deep things where there's also a reality to that, that, yes. that, yeah, that God has to, God is the one that has to navigate that complex maze. Yes. And he does so exquisitely. Mm -hmm. And he does. Mm -hmm. You, you are his heart's desire. He is not going to abandon us to false beliefs or to fear. Or mm -hmm. to, he's, not, he's not going to abandon us to that. Do I give up on my kids? They're in their 30s and 40s now. Do I give up on my kids when I see something and I'm like, ah, no. Right. right. I give it to the Lord. 
I pray for them daily and yeah. And I trust my savior. Yeah. Well, Tanta honey, I have to leave it there, but thank you. That this was I love these conversations and these really are those back porch conversations where they <laughs> we just go where the go conversation goes and I I love it. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, absolutely. I love speaking with you. It's it puts everything in perspective. Yeah. Will will you kindly take us out with a short prayer? Absolutely. Precious Heavenly Father, you who define what fatherhood is, you are the creator of life. You are the provider. You are the tender husbandman in the in the garden, caring tenderly, watering, weeding. <laughs> Thank you for paying attention to the weeds. Because you want us to thrive. Because you want us free. Father, turn our eyes from sorrow. Turn them into rejoicing. To give thanks for what is in the moment and for what is to come, which we can't even imagine. But let us smell Eden right now. That's real. You're real. Help us live in a new reality of being alive in you and free to have fun and to laugh. And to it's a gift. You say in Ecclesiastes, it's a gift. This ability to have joy. Well, pour out this gift on us and let us never be tired of receiving it. And I praise you and thank you to Brandon for his work and for all those who are listening. Father, hold him close. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tata Honey. You're welcome, Brandon. Anytime, even though I get nervous when you call and ask for this, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to mess it up. It's such <laughs> a delight to actually speak with you. Yeah. Well, it's always fun. And I, I mean, this is... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that I'm now going to think about for a while. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org slash donate.